Well, let me welcome to the program Deacon Frank D. Girolamo. He is the new executive director of Operation Nightwatch, a very important ministry operating in downtown Seattle. Welcome, Deacon Frank. Thanks, Tom. It's a delight to be with you. Well, you know, it's uh, it is great to be with you. It's uh, I've I've watched uh, I, I want to say I've watched your career because it makes me sound so old. <laughs> I, I guess I am a little back. bit old. So yeah, it, Tom, it's been we go way back. Yeah, we do yeah. go way back, right? Yeah, yeah, I think the first time, well, the first time we interacted, you were working at St. Monica's, and uh, it was at the, uh, a program that was going a, kind of a deep dive into the catechism of the Catholic Church. One of the greatest gifts of my life, Tom, in my adulthood, you, um, you know, systematically helped me to uh, make sense of everything that I had been taught over the years. So those four pillars of the catechism taught by you, deep dives, were uh, continue to be just a great gift. Well, that's a, that's kind of you. I, I really loved this idea of being able to ponder deeply that great gift to the church, right? The, the universal yeah. catechism of the Catholic church. And um, since we're, uh, we're patting each other on the back, you were one of my very favorite students among all oh, the course. students through all the years. <laughs> Uh, no, since, uh, and, and I can tell you why, uh, you had your laptop out, you were taking <laughs> notes, you'd come up and you'd ask me these very engaging questions. It's, it's not just that you wanted to be there, but you had a passion. You had a passion for the faith and about plunging more deeply into the faith. And I, I really enjoyed your thoughtful questions, your, your, your incredible sense of engagement in um, it, it, with the content and then somehow saying, let's make this alive. So I, I really did very much appreciate that about you as a student and uh, I just want you to know that. So, yeah, well, thanks. You know, I think what you recognize is I, I had a great hunger. Um, uh, I had been exposed to faith lived out all my life. I've been so loved. I'm a product of just being loved, but um yeah, what you what you saw me doing was responding to um, sitting down at a big feast and just trying to um, not overeat any one part of it, but trying to understand what's on the table. Um, and of course, you know the catechism. I, I have to share this; might sound kind of funny, but the um, the dynamism among the four pillars of the catechism is something that still continues to uh, dance in my head. Right, what God reveals about Himself in the creed, he actively communicates to us uh, through the sacraments and it takes further root in our lives as we strive to live a moral life in Christ and it leads us back to him in prayer. Wow, I mean, that's that's a day. Every day, that's a, that's a given minute, it's a given hour. Uh, how's that all coming together? So what's on the table? That is so cool. <laughs> Folks, you have no idea what Deacon Frank just did there, but he took something that was part of, uh, like a, it was, a, it was a, a theme that unfolded itself over four years. And you yeah. did that. You did it better than I did. You yeah. should be teaching that class. So Tom, you're the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's the thing. We're here to talk about Operation Nightwatch. And I, I think the theme for your life hasn't changed. You have a passion. Mm. You want to go mm. deeper. And in going deeper, you want to integrate it into your life, and then you want to manifest it out into the world mm. uh, to be the face, light, and uh, leaven, and salt, light, leaven in the face of Christ in the world. And so, when I heard that in the arc of God's call for your life, the arc, this sort of this this movement in your life, 
uh, you started working at the parish level, and that was coming from a professional life into uh, working in a parish. And then you pursued the diaconate, and yeah. all of a sudden you're working, you know, in the chancery. You're working with the bishop. You're you're doing important work at the institutional hierarchical level. Yeah. And I want to hear more about that because now yeah. you're in a very different place, and you're doing a very different work. Um, so it's it's a really interesting. You're an interesting guy because you it's like there are many, the many facets of Deacon Frank here. Um, because what you're doing now in Operation Night Watch is almost the polar opposite in terms of how people live out a ministerial call than mm. some of the work you've been doing over mm. the last decade or so. So yeah. I'm really interested yeah. in hearing about, um, uh, if, let's start with what Operation Night Watch is, and then yeah. let's unfold <laughs> backwards how you got there. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, I, and as a way into this, I, I keep responding to invitations, right? Um, I keep getting invited. In fact, when I left corporate life, it's because I was invited to work in parish life. When I went to the archdiocese, it's because I was invited to go there. And I'm here in my current role because I got a call. And, you know, God's call is coming through human connections, uh, sort of how I've always seen it. But I think you asked, what is what is Night Watch? Right? Um, at its essence, it's about um, walking with it's about um, responding to the call, <clears throat> often from those who don't have a voice, to just be beside them. So I, I could probably summarize this with a, a brief history and then a look at modern day. Um, in 1967, also the year I was born, uh, the story goes that um, a Methodist pastor, Pastor Bud Palmberg, who had a little church on Mercer Island, was contacted by parents of a young adult from their congregation. And they said, pastor, our son is somewhere in Seattle and he's meandering around. He's lost in life and he's struggling with some addictions. Uh, can you go find him? And so one evening, pastor Bud Palmberg went out into the streets of Seattle and through some word of mouth referrals, found this young man in an abandoned house with others and stayed there for hours talking about life and listening to hopes and dreams and challenges. And when it was time to leave in the early hours of the morning, uh, the young adult said, you know, you gotta come back. Uh, the streets need a chaplain. And what ensued was um, cobbling together volunteers every night of the month to just be with. And um, one of the themes we've found is, uh, you know, what we often do is we find hope in the midst of homelessness. And there's a lot of struggles out there, but there's something about allowing hope to surface even in the most um, unlikely looking circumstances. Um, so fast forward to today, over the years, we've always had someone on the streets. Uh, today we have three full-time street ministers. And in the course of the year, about 40 other people, volunteers accompany them. We're in 10 key neighborhoods. Uh, every week, uh, having hundreds of conversations deeply with people uh, every week, thousands per year. Um, and that continues to be the essence of who we are. But on top of that, we have a nightly meal program serving about 100 meals per night. We facilitate people getting into shelter. We run a couple shelters ourselves. And we have some housing for formerly homeless senior citizens. Um, 
So food, shelter, housing, but all in the spirit of hope, hope in Christ. So Frank, you said what you just did there, I, I found very striking because I think the most natural way to start in describing Nightwatch would have been with the bricks and mortar, would have mm. been with the services. Mm. Yeah, we serve this many meals. We have this many shelters. Yeah. And what did you start with? You started with relationships, connections, mm. being present, going forth into the margins, going out into the places where, frankly, 95 or more of those listening are never going to go. Not in, I'm not saying that they're not, we are not called to go, but there is uh, only fear, only, and even just uh, an interior sense of repulsion towards the idea that we'd be called to go out and be in the midst of the homeless. Um, It's a, um, it's a striking thing that what you started with and emphasized was we go out, we, we are with them. We are there to listen yeah. to share, to bring hope. And um, I, I, you're really, what you're talking about is what I think in the scriptures are encounters, right? Like right, um, right, right. we think about where conversion happens. And honestly, it's like, let's go back to the catechism and say the great, the great popes of, of our time, um, where do they emphasize conversion happening? It's in the encounter with Jesus Christ. It's when Amen. someone has an encounter with Jesus and not only do they know Jesus, but guess what? They become known to themselves, right? So yeah. let's let yeah. theology meet life, right? Uh, yeah. Jesus not only reveals God to us, he reveals yeah. us to ourselves. And Amen. now we're called to be the face and yeah. in, in the light of Christ. Yeah. Well, sometimes people are going to get revealed to themselves through an encounter with someone that's there bringing yeah. the face of Christ. Um, and- I, you, you, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's something so beautifully deep and mysterious and uh, incomprehensible that goes on in these encounters. And, and I'll start by acknowledging the fear. Often I'm afraid. Um, I'm six foot two. I'm over 200 pounds. Um, I'm often afraid uh, to walk down the street and say hi to somebody. But we often will pause when we are aware of that and we'll ask God's perfect love to cast out that fear. Um, and then we'll proceed. And usually after those moments, um, the most beautiful encounters continue to happen. And, and Tom, I'll finish by saying, uh, who's ministering to who, right? Um, we often are hearing the most beautiful homilies or sermons, whatever you want to call them, from the folks who are about to fall asleep in the gutter or on the street or in the alley and have nothing, but they remind us that everything's going to be okay. Um, I know that I'm loved and God will provide tomorrow. Um, and I do have a hope for someday getting better, but I'm in the middle of this desert experience and, and I'm thankful for today and it's been nice to see you and good night, you know, and, and I love you. And these are the things we hear. So there's something of of an encounter with Jesus in those moments. Uh, again, some of the, the most, um, powerful homilies in my life I've heard in the late evening hours on a dark rainy street in Seattle. So I'm t- t- talking today with Deacon Frank DiGirolamo. I encourage you to go to seattlenightwatch.org, seattlenightwatch.org. You're going to learn more about the important work of this apostolate Nightwatch. And Deacon Frank uh, recently took up leadership in this important initiative. And we're going to learn more about that as, as this interview continues. 
I'm talking today with Deacon Frank DiGirolamo. I encourage you to go to seattlenightwatch.org. Uh, Frank, when you and I were talking and getting ready for this interview, I said, one of the reasons why you're here is these really moving uh, testimonies that you give in these little snippets on Facebook. Mm. Um, and I just like, wow, man, that, that is so powerful. That is so, it's easy to scroll through because I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook anyways, but I stop and I look at yours because they, there's that, they're that gripping. They're, they're Mm. gripping stories, uh, that, um, help people like me who are not on the streets regularly, if at all, to be able to realize, wait a minute, it's not just a tent or tent city or the jungle, but no, th- these are people and they have stories. And <laughs> if you can go be with these people at the place where they're broken, at the place where they are right now, yeah. you might just be, there might just, you might just see redemption occur. Yeah. Um, yeah. You had a story wow. that you uh, shared with me about Irene. And uh, um, I would love yeah. for you to just like, just start with that one, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh yeah, I, I have, I get goosebumps just hearing uh, her name. Um, and, and these are particular stories, Tom, uh, and they, they're representative of, of many others, right? And so we're privileged to be welcomed into homes out there. That's what we always remember is that when we walk into the jungle, which is where Irene lived. Um, and, and tell people what the jungle is. What is oh, the jungle? Okay, so forgive me. Um, it's the Seattle jungle. It's famously an area a little bit south and east of the city. Uh, kind of on a hillside, partly underneath I-5 and partly north of there. And by the way, let's let's face it, there's a ton of suffering. There's a ton of trauma uh, being lived out. There's nothing romantic about this. Um, it's a place of much abuse and, um, and suffering and sharing of suffering and um, uh, predatory drug dealers and the like, um, human traffickers, the like. Uh, so we walk and we and we show up and we listen and accompany folks. So Irene um, uh, revealed that she was in her tent, just laying there, ready to die. She had recently left the local hospital against medical advice, and so I'm just going to stay here and die. And you can imagine we just fall silent, and the cars are roaring five feet overhead. You know, thousands of cars going by, not aware of Irene's beautiful presence there. And, um, and Frank, just I'm going to cut you off yeah. for a second. Yeah. No one listening hears that. Like no one that no one's hearing this program right now in the course of their day today is yeah. going to walk past someone and you say, Hey, how are you? And just say, I'm just here waiting to die. I <laughs> mean, talk about like the the stakes that are happening. And and so you're passing by a tent and there's somebody there, they're home, and what their response is, I'm waiting to die. What does that do to you? Uh in the moment, um, I fell to my knees and um, it was just quiet. And I'm with a few other uh, friends, ministers, and she kept looking at us, right? So uh, my heart sinks uh, with compassion, um, a, an overwhelming sense of um, powerlessness. And uh, what, we, what we did was so humble, um, so meager, and we found ourselves quietly praying and then offering to Irene, Irene, I don't know if this makes sense at all, but you're valuable and you're loved. You know, again, not trying to control anything. We can't control anything, uh, but you're loved. 
trying to speak life, right? Heart speaks to heart. Um, we can only love because he first loved us. So here we are. And let's, let's love Irene. I, I remember um, that we were there for a while and she was courteous and kind. So many times the folks who greet us are the most gracious folks. And Irene, waiting to die in her tent, said, thank you so much for coming by. And we left. Um, we usually go back to each place every week. Uh, we went back four days later to check on our friend Irene. And we learned from her neighbors that she left shortly after we had been there. And so it was another week or two when we saw Irene again, Tom. And um, she, she looked great. Uh, her hair was done. She had makeup on. She looked rejuvenated. And she said, yeah, after you guys left, I felt like going back to the hospital and I took advantage of the treatments they had been offering. And I'm, I just saved up money for a Greyhound bus ticket and I'm going out of state to be with my daughter and her newborn baby. Um, now, I'm not going to say happily ever after, but there was something of a, it, that points to something so much bigger, right? It points to what happens to us when we're reminded that we're loved, that we matter, um, a lot of our street ministry is all about building trust. Mm -hmm. uh, and she felt that she could trust the folks who were trying to help her and went back. And there's something about the reuniting of family that just gives me goosebumps about God's desire to welcome us home. So I run the risk of, of oversharing some of these stories. I hope this is helpful. But Irene, we love you. Uh, Deacon Frank, it's, it's a beautiful story. Deacon Frank's the new executive director of Nightwatch, a very important uh, mission that is bringing Christ right out to the margins. Uh, there's a profound theologian who said the church is the church most fully at the point where it meets the world. And I, I love that. It's a great line. We tend to think of the church is the church when we are at mass, right? And that's the source, sum, and center of our faith for sure. But where the church manifests itself as church is where it comes into contact, into life-giving, redemptive contact with the world. Um, it's interesting because my wife, Carrie, and I, um, we grew up in, in families that said foster faith, grow in faith in different ways. My family grew up where it was go to mass, go to adoration, encounter Jesus there. And I said, that's where conversion happens in prayer, in seeking Christ, going deeper, rosary. And, and I experienced tremendous conversion there. Carrie's family was different. Carrie's family would, um, on a regular basis, go to nursing homes. They would take in street people, they in their own homes. Oh, and guess what? They were connected to a, uh, an apostolate called Nightwatch. And so <laughs> Carrie's mom would be down serving those meals like at 11 at night or 10 at night, very late when, when they would. Yeah. And I went down with her one time and I mm -hmm. stood back. I mean, my mother-in-law, Mary Margaret DiLorenzo is like five, two and I'm six, one. And let me tell you, she had this uh, authority, like they knew that woman and they just got in line and they kind of would look at me and I kind of backed away thinking, is she going to be okay? And she was perfectly safe. She was known and she knew them and it was really powerful. But Carrie's point was conversion happens at the point of contact where you are being Christ in the world. Yeah. So what are your thoughts about that? Those that just that whole thing wow. that I just shared. 
Yeah. Uh, so first of all, uh, I- I'm thrilled to know of the connection uh, with with uh, your wife's family and with you standing there. You paint a great picture. I could see you uh, standing there as you're talking. I'm reminded again of who's ministering to who, um, and the the safety you talked about. The safety tends to come when when we um, are willing to put ourselves forth to live in greater relationship. Uh, that's where a lot, so much of the healing comes from and to be, not be afraid of each other, but to uh, love one another as I've loved you. Right. Um, I, in, in the story with Irene, that we just, who we just talked about, um, I just kept thinking about how God sees me sometime in my tent, uh, languishing in a, in maybe a moment of despair thinking, okay, I'm withering on the vine here, Lord. And I hear how he says, Frank, I don't know if this makes sense to you, but you're valuable. Right. Uh, arise. Right. Uh, come out. Um, so uh, how it's how we see God seeing us so often is what we run into when we um, when we go out. You know, so um, so Deacon Frank, uh, you're you're you just heard me share about this idea that where we're going to experience conversion is mm. at the point where the church meets the world. And yeah. again, that can be very scary for folks that are that are listening. But I think some are also energized. I think some people here are energized because of the longing for connection, right? Mm. You, you think that it's, it's a kind of a paradox. We live in a moment that is, is more plugged in than Mm. at any moment in human history. And yet at the same time, seemingly more isolated and cut off than at any time in the world. And, and there's a way in which if we can unplug from the the things that will keep us cut off, we can learn to be present to mm. those that are around us. So even yeah. if even if someone, f- folks, if you're listening to this program again, I'm talking with Deacon Frank D. Girolamo, um, this this idea of um, being present to. You had a story about Michael. Oh yeah. Um, and I think that there's a meaningful connection here between how you share how, how your encounter with Michael is, is about being present and how yeah. I think for us, it's an antidote for yeah. a lot of what is hurting just family life and community life today mm-hmm. because of technology. Um, so tell that mm-hmm. story. Yeah. Uh, Michael's a beautiful soul, beautiful man. Uh, and this one goes back eight or nine years. I think um, Michael had a great desire to sing his anthem. And Michael's an imposing figure. Uh, I told you I'm 6'2", and I felt kind of dwarfed by Michael. And it's late night on a, on a remote street, and my friends decide to give us a little bit of space, and they stand off 10, 20 feet. And Michael proceeds. He just wanted to sing his anthem to me. Uh, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is an honor. What happened was next about 15 to 20 minutes of um, – a great summary of all the Psalms of lament and praise, mainly lament. Uh, But his anthem was a type of prayer that was very often difficult to listen to. Um, He he took on an imposing posture as he sang it with great ferocity. Um, But he was looking for someone to listen to his anthem. His anthem was filled with a summary of the traumas he had experienced as a child, as a young adult, and now as an adult, all of his struggles, how he's been trying to cope, uh, dis- however dysfunctionally. Uh, and in the midst of it, you could hear his, 
his attempts to try to love his daughter uh, more than he has been loved and the sacrifices he's making and the risk he's taking to try to love his daughter. It's sort of like, this is my body given up for you, daughter. Um, a passerby would have thought that Michael was about to attack me. Might have, it might have looked like he was yelling at me. I've, I found myself kind of backed up against the wall. But Michael was, was praying a song. And at the end of it, at the end of the 15 to 20 minutes, all he said was, wow, you, you listened to my whole anthem. And, and, that, was, and that, was, that was it. I felt privileged to have read the book of his life, to have listened to his prayers. I was praying right along with him. And so there's something that was kind of unlocked, right? The, the threefold path to unity with God begins with a purgation. It almost seemed like I was privileged to listen to him purge himself of all of this. And he took comfort knowing that a stranger who was going to leave in the next few minutes was with him. Um, something about the gathering of the faithful, right? I think that's so powerful. And I think that um, you made space, right? You think about that idea that sometimes people don't feel like they have permission or space to mm. be able to let themselves be received. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, when we, when we talk about this idea of um, what is it that is going to make f- someone feel um, like known mm. or loved or celebrated is when the look in the eye, the demeanor, right. the, the how I'm present says, I'm open to you. I'm not forced to be here and I'm open to receive what you share, what you're saying right now as a way of saying, I'm open to receive you. And I'm going to bet that in the course of their day-to-day lives, that the the demeanor, the posture, the the decisions people make, the looks on the faces and in the eyes, they probably don't get a lot of that in the course of their day-to-day interactions. It's, uh, you know, uh, and by the way, all praise to God, right? What uh, We're only animated and invited to do this because we feel obligated, compelled, I should say, to hand on what we have received. And we are drawing upon all the awareness that God listens to our anthem all the time as we pour it out in, in prayer, right? So we're just trying to freely hand on what we have ourselves freely uh, received, Um yeah, I'm I'm overwhelmed right now, Tom, thinking about all of this. We we can't do this without God's love. Uh, often our big prayer when we're getting set to go out is uh, we surrender ourselves totally to you, Lord. Um, all of our facial gestures, all of our time, all of our words, um, body posture, uh, let it be uh, you that they see showing up uh, because you have first done that for us. So it's really a participation. One of my biggest concerns is I don't want to make it sound like, uh, look at what we're doing. This is this is exactly what God's doing and how he teaches us through the Irenes and the Michaels, our, our brothers and sisters. We're right. And and again, folks, if you're now watching, if you're watching this interview um, with Deacon Frank G. Girolamo, you see the Nightwatch website, seattlenightwatch.org, seattlenightwatch.org, if you're listening. Uh, and you'll learn more about Operation Nightwatch. And just this beautiful line here, it reduces the impact of poverty and homelessness and keeping with Jesus' teaching to love our neighbors. Um, Carrie and I were talking in the past week about the um, about the gospel where Jesus said, if you're throwing a feast, don't invite all the folks that you know are known to you and that can pay you back, but go out 
and get the invalids, go out and get the lame, the poor, those who have no ability to pay you back. Right. That, yeah. and, and she was, she was just talking about that. And she was saying, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for me? How do we live that out? And it became a reflection on um, not only this idea, could I be called to engage with or be connected to an organization like Nightwatch doing the important work you're doing? But it became more a point of saying, you know what, just even pondering that word of God begins to break open some of the, mm -hmm. some of the protection and some of the apathy. Those are mm -hmm. two big words that are also convicting words. Mm. You know, are we apathetic and are we protecting ourselves from the ones that the Lord is saying, I will solve your apathy, your indifference. Mm. Mm. And if you're, if you're willing to allow me to break down the walls that keep you back from a place where you're going to be redeemed and you're going to bring, um, again, the face and the light of Christ. So here, I want you to be able to say, so how to help. Right. So yeah. there's a uh, on the Nightwatch website, SeattleNightwatch.org. Yeah. There's give, volunteer, engage, and pray. So folks, I yeah. encourage you to be praying for Deacon Frank and for Nightwatch. That's it. that <laughs> you know easy to say, and I think that's the it's comfortable to do. But then yeah. there are other ways, and that's engaging, volunteering, and giving. And I want to make sure that right. folks understand that this is a this is a nonprofit uh, initiative, and that when you give, it it's a way of sharing in the mission. That's one of the things I always bring out is that some people give by going and that's what you're doing, Deacon Frank. Well, other people can go by giving so they can literally yeah. become connected to folks. You can Amen. become sharers in the mission. Amen. Um, you're maybe not called to be like Deacon Frank and at one in the morning, be out under the bridge, uh, sitting in a tent, listening to someone's story, but you can support those who are through your financial mm -hmm. giving. So when people give financially, Deacon Frank, what happens? Like what, what happens with the, with those dollars? Uh, they go directly to our, our direct service, um, uh, especially funding uh, all of our efforts to go forth, to foster trust, to invite those who can't pay back. And again, it all starts with our awareness, our, our, over, our overwhelming awareness that God has first invited us when we cannot begin to pay him back. So um, if, if, if you feel overwhelmed and, and want to hand that on, then your financial donations go directly to us, uh, encountering folks who have suffered much, continue to suffer, and give them a moment of respite, of love, of accompaniment. Um, it also goes directly to uh, subsidizing our, uh, our uh, housing for our formerly homeless seniors. We heavily subsidize those apartments. We run our own shelters at great expense when shelter beds are uh, fewer uh, in, in the community. Um, it, it goes to our, our ability to, to support our 700 plus volunteers every year. Uh, we couldn't do it without our thousands of donors, Tom. Mm -hmm. That's really tremendous. And if you go to the Seattle Nightwatch website, there is a, a button that says how to help. And then under the give, mm -hmm. there's a donate now button. And you see it, folks, if you're with me watching the interview, you can just click on donate now and you're able to make an easy donation right there on the page. It is tax deductible yeah. because it's a, it is a nonprofit organization. And as it says on the website that you guys rely on uh, almost entirely on donations from the folks that believe yeah. in your mission, 
they want to be a blessing to you for being a blessing to others. And yeah. they have the financial means of doing that. And so um, I got to tell you my two favorite, I write, I, I handwrite thank you notes every day uh, to tons of folks. It's one of the, my favorite things to do. And recently I came upon two of my emerging favorite recent um, uh, donors. And one is uh, a four-year-old girl whose mother was reading her our newsletter and just quietly while mother was reading the newsletter, the four-year-old went upstairs, got her piggy bank and came down and said, mom, let's, let's give them something. And, and she took out $5 from her piggy bank. So I got $5 from a four-year-old girl because uh, there was something moving, right? And then I had a late 80s gentleman talk about how uh, grocery prices are skyrocketing. He depends on the local food bank to survive, but here's $5 because I know people are worse off than me. I want to help. So I'm overwhelmed by the tremendous generosity of all of our donors. Again, uh, something much bigger than dollars and cents going on here. It's a participation of care for each other. Right. And, and you know, Deacon Frank, one of the things that um, you also shared with me that happens is that you're, you're not just meeting folks, but you're walking with them. And yeah. some of these folks are in fact walking back into a relationship with God or deepening their relationship with the church as well. Yeah. You had a story yeah. about Casper that was yeah. kind of unfolding that. Yeah. And um, I'll preface this by saying it's a story where I fumbled a lot. Um, Casper, beautiful soul. Um, we, we were just, we hung out with him. Uh, we always go back to the same place on the same day and the same time, just for some consistency in the midst of chaos on the streets. Uh, sometimes we're the only consistency, uh, Casper beautifully one, one day said, where, where's your church? And I said, well, actually it's, it's kind of far away, but you know, there's several around here. There's one right here over here. And he goes, no, 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 uh, your, your church. Uh, so it's something about relationship, right? He goes, I want to go to your church because those are the people who sent you here to be with me. And I want to go there. And Tom, I'll stop right there because that's the key thing. Something was awakened uh, of trust. Um, and I, I have to say that uh, I fumbled tremendously and I wasn't in, in my, all my flaws, I, I was not able to arrange a connection between Casper and my church. And um, it's the desire that speaks beyond anything. It was as if Jesus was saying, um, I, I don't have the right things to wear. Will you accept me there? And I think if, if, there's, any, if there's anything that our churches can be doing, it's to consider how Jesus in a distressing disguise wants to wants to be part of our worshiping community for all those benefits. Um, so it, it, his desire spoke beautifully, that awakening. I want to return. And um, I think I bumped up against my own inability to, to bring that to fruition. Well, and, and you can imagine, right, that the fellow is probably, Casper's probably thinking, um, if I like this, walk into a typical church, there's going to be more of those gestures, rejection, um, facial mannerisms and, and aversion rather than 
the coming close and welcoming yeah. and saying, it's so good to see you here. So yeah. that idea that, you know, in, in being with you, he felt like I, I could even belong. I could belong in a setting that isn't in on the margins of the streets. I could belong yeah. in a, in a, in a house of God. Yeah. And uh, the, the encouragement is I did have several friends later after it all, <clears throat> you know, that was a test for us to figure it out. I did have several friends come forward and say, you let me know where he is. I'll be glad to pick him up, drive him. Hey, Frank, I'd be glad to sit with him and, and welcome him and introduce him to folks. So I'm very encouraged about that fertile ground that we seem to have ultimately found. So I, uh, <laughs> you might remember, uh, a, this, uh, I'm sure I said it at some point during all those years of the mastery of the catechism class, um, John St. John Paul II, as a playwright mm -hmm. uh, in the theater of the word, one of his, uh, in one of his plays, I think it's called the, the son of the son of man or, um, or Adam. And it, uh, in it, there's that scene where um, he's outside looking at a homeless man leaning up against a light pole in the snow. Do you remember this story? Re refresh yeah keep going okay so uh, so in it he's having this interior dialogue with himself saying look at that what what a shame what a terrible thing you know i'm gonna let me go over there he's gonna freeze to death and he goes over to um pick the man up and and then it happens and he picks the man up and the next line in the book in the play is you have saved my life and you'd think that it was coming from the man on the ground saying it to the man who was picking him up. But it was the man who was picking him up who said to the man that was homeless and on the street, and you have saved my life. Mm -hmm. That uh, what a striking you know, insight. And yeah. um, uh, would you how would you respond to that? Someone who is wow. in those kind of interactions on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're speaking about the the incomprehensible, the, the great mystery that does happen when we just engage, right? Um, uh, something transcendent between either of the two people. It's, it's just bigger. You, you, it reminds me, Tom, of um, one of the gals who lives in Pioneer Square, um, who at the beginning of the pandemic was talking to me and she said, hey, I know that this is going to be tough on a lot of people's employment. You tell people that if they lose their jobs... Um, and if they find themselves homeless, um, we will we will welcome them and we will teach them how to survive out here. Right. So, and I'm. It's a. It makes me fall silent. Um, you know who's who's ministering to who. Um, so yeah, it's. That was the first thing that came to my mind as you're talking about it, but there's something transcendent. We're a gift for one another. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. So Deacon Frank, again, I'm talking with Deacon Frank T. Girolamo um, from Operation Night Watch. Night Watch is a, a very important organization right on the front lines, right on the margins, 
uh, being with those who are in broken, difficult circumstances. And you have a very important mission. And uh, I love your website, seattlenightwatch.org. Mm. And you can see it if you're wa- if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook, or if you're just listening, if you're listening to the podcast or on Sacred Heart Radio, seattlenightwatch.org is the website to go to. And um, very powerful, um, the messaging that you have on here about mm. ending homelessness. And mm. I, I love the way it gets messaged here. In fact, I'm just going to read it. Imagine yeah. no tents, no litter, no people alone under a bridge, no seniors without homes, because there are friends, housing, health care, treatment for all. At Night Watch, we believe all this is possible, not simply because we imagine it, but because God loves us all. Powerful mission. It's it's definitely um, a, a vision uh, of a future that's anchored in the most simple but most profound truth. If we all knew God's love for us, um, you know, how, how would relationships change? How would we be loving one another? Um, and so we just have this privilege of having these encounters. And all we want to do is share how we see God at work in them. Um, often uh, people will say, uh, hey, Frank, what, what do you think is the solution to homelessness? And I'll acknowledge that there are many, many, many smarter people doing many, many greater things about an enhanced shelter and 24-7 care with wraparound services. That's great. At the heart of it, though, it's got to begin with fostering trust, uh, showing up, walking with, which doesn't look glamorous and it's hard to track. Um, because there's there's something about restoring relationship that must be at the heart of ending homelessness. So much of homelessness has happened because of trauma at the hands of those who were supposed to care for us. Um, and now a, a spiral of trying to cope with that trauma and being stunted in our maturity. Um, th- there's a lot of reparative work that's needed just uh, by friends loving in the name of Christ. Um, so, yeah, we, we love to uh, keep a vision in front of us, uh, knowing that it's all anchored in God's love for each of us. You know, Deacon Frank, um, when we think about mercy, right? So mercy is uh, often connected with the theme of compassion, right? It's Mm -hmm. showing favor to those um, who are in broken, difficult circumstances. But mercy is also manifest as preserving us from ever having experienced some of those needs to be rescued, right? (laughs) And I think that um, many of us who have been preserved from traumas from uh, at the hands of those who were uh, entrusted to love us. They did love us, not perfectly, but loved us in a way that we were preserved from serious traumas and, um, you know, uh, very hurtful happenings. It It's easy for us to look down upon those mm-hmm. who are on the streets and not realizing that you know, the way my mom would put it there for the grace of God, but for the grace of God, go I. And and it's easy for us just to distance ourselves and say they're there because somehow they deserve it, right? They made a bad decision or they're lazy or they want to be there. They don't want to take responsibility for it. It's easy to fall into those kind of attitudes. And yeah. then the last thing that someone wants to do who's holding on to those attitudes is, oh, let me go be with them where they are. But if you have a different starting point, if the starting point is, well, no, you actually, if you go hang out with them, you'll find out that they're victims 
They were traumatized. They were wounded. They experienced <laughs> terrible, terrible things yeah. that happened to them. And they're just yeah. trying to get through today. Right. So well said, Tom. And um, I think some of the other, I mean, you're tapping into what are those spirits uh, that prevent us from connecting with each other? And a, a big one is self-preservation. You know, there's fear and then there's self-preservation. If I go there and I'm moved and I fall in love, they're going to want everything I own. Um, actually, uh, what we find is the, the folks who are suffering the most are, are most appreciative just of the time and the hello and the eye contact and the name ch- exchange. And they're thrilled. And it kind of reminds us of, of God, right? I just, I just desire your heart, right? It reminds me of a young man that, who I met not long ago in an encampment off of Aurora, North Aurora Avenue in the woods. And um, he was passing through and he's, uh, he's formerly from the Ukraine and he was a former soldier there. I'm like, wow, this is kind of right from the headlines, right? And he's talking about his struggles and um, his, he's lost contact with his family, doesn't know who they are. We talked for 20 minutes. We ended up praying together because he had a lot on his heart. And um, when, when we left, uh, he said, you know, the, the time you gave tonight is worth more than if somebody drove by and gave me $500 for the nicest hotel room for the night. And I don't know what to do with that, but it goes to your point that there's, they're much more appreciative of just the moment of hello, no long-term strings attached. Um, and it, it taps into something a lot deeper that just wants to uh, allow the momentum to keep going of building on relationships. Well, I think it, it it makes me think of theology. So you remember being created in the image of God, we often will stay to that idea. Well, they're an individual and therefore they ought to be treated a certain way. But if you remember John Paul II, he emphasizes the relational dimension of the fact that we're created in the image of God as a communion of persons. And so Amen. constitutive, it constitutes us as a human being. We become most fully a person when we are in relationships marked by truth and love, that it's truly loving relationships, loving true relationships that give rise to freedom and peace and flourishing. And uh, what your Ukrainian soldier who's homeless just witnessed to more profoundly than uh, you can read in a book is that truth that we are made for communion. We are made for relationships. And mm-hmm. when we have those relationships, then we, we get some light. We get some, we get that hope. Well, all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, I, I, I can be in relationship too. Um, you're such a gift of a teacher. I, I think after this, I'll probably need to reach out and see if you want to join our board of directors so we can just have you there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> You're great. Uh, you know, uh, I would love, hey, it's on you now. I, I, you <laughs> invite me to get more involved. Uh, I'm, I'm 300 miles away, but oh, right. uh, there are ways to, to be connected. Um, right. I, I think that I was very much impacted by uh, that whole vision of conversion that my wife brought to my life. Mm. And that was something that was the fruit of her family, right? As I mm. mentioned, her mom involved in Night Watch. Her dad very involved in the St. Vincent de Paul Society at their parish. Again, always coming into contact with those who find themselves in broken circumstances without judgment. 
right? And they were blessed to have 12 children, but I think they had something like 16 um, kids coming through their home and just being with them for shorter periods of time. Um, the number of, of kids that were around them growing up were, was amazing. And so um, it's something that Carrie has emphasized in our lives. Like we need to get our kids out at the point where people are in desperate need and we can be of service to them. So, and that can show up in, in pro-life initiatives, but out here, they're the missionaries of charity and they serve a meal under the bridge, right? Right in downtown Spokane. Um, but Seattle has such a, an urgent and, and, and much, much bigger issue with this. Uh, in, the, in the couple of minutes that remain, uh, Deacon Frank, uh, I've been talking about Nightwatch, Operation Nightwatch, SeattleNetwatch.org, folks, if you're listening, SeattleNetwatch.org, or if you can watch this. How would you invite people to consider getting involved? How can they help? Uh, take a look at our website. Uh, you know, pray. Take a look at our website. Um, consider uh, how you've been gifted with relationship. Consider opportunity to hand that on um, in even the smallest way um, and allow God to work his mystery. Uh, so I kind of don't want to be more prescriptive than that, except to say that any one little encounter, whether it be over a served plate of food, um, whether it be reading a story, uh, one of our stories that we share on social media can, can change hearts. Um, and it might just enhance your local life in your family. You talk about the application of mercy and compassion. Sometimes it's to preserve us from, um, a fall. Uh, so I guess, yeah, I, I'd allow you to, to just peruse, consider, um, and trust that any one person can make a difference for any one person. Uh, uh, one of our friends, Sam, who uh, often is on the streets for hours at a time in a given day, just um, uh, weeping, um, uh, doesn't get any hellos. Uh, sometimes a person drops a dollar bill in his a guitar case and he's thinking, that's not what I wanted. That might help a little bit. That's not what I wanted. And then someone sits beside him for five minutes. He said that was worth more than a million dollars. I think we all do the equivalent of sitting beside someone for five minutes when we engage, when we offer prayers, uh, when we volunteer to do something like cooking a souffle behind the scenes, it, it all contributes. And I feel like I'm running the risk of rambling here too much, Tom, but I hope that helps. I, you know, I, um, so I'm going to give you my little uh, executive coaching for the executive director. When I give you an opportunity to uh, give people, give people a chance to give money, ask for money. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> here's the thing. You have a job and my job is to help right. you do your job. And right. folks, if you want to help, night watch if you want to help address homelessness and um, pray pray one of the things you can pray for is giving um, yeah. so you can give a one-time gift uh, they're monthly donors is that something that folks can do as well because that probably allows you to budget better if there's um, a way to say hey walk with us monthly and you'll be able yeah. to um, help us budget more 
Yeah. Uh, Tom, emboldened by some recent advice that I've received uh, from a trusted source, we need lots of money. Do you? We what would you do? What, what could you do with $50,000? What would you do with it? I could run our shelter for one of our shelters. I could run for a half a year, uh, getting lots of folks wow. off the street. Are you serious? Right? Yeah. It's, it's expensive to run a shelter. Um, I'd keep folks employed. I'd keep our buses running. Oh, no. I, I was thinking that was not a lot of money. I mean, folks, oh, you can yeah. run a shelter for a half a year for $50,000. That is amazing. Right. Right. Holy cow. Yeah. So it does all add up. Those $5 donations from piggy banks uh, are like the widow's might. We definitely recognize that. At the same time, if your piggy bank is a lot bigger, um, you know, maybe consider what you're being called to do. Yeah, I think that, uh, Frank, my sense is that we're entering into an age of stewardship at a whole new level because of the challenges that the church is facing and the church at the point of contact with the world is facing so many challenges that it's going to require a new level of stewardship. If there's like no half measures, guys, it's like all in now. And whether that means, again, uh, time or talent, uh, for some, it's going to mean treasure. What they have is not so much time and not so much talent, but they've got some treasure that is going to be up your game, folks. You live once. The time is now. Folks that are on the front lines giving their time and their talent are going to need those of you that have been entrusted with what is God's. It's all God's, right? Amen. And Amen. it all belongs to the Lord. So, Lord, what would you have me do? And so, folks, if you've been moved by Deacon Frank and his team's willingness to be on the front lines and you're like, I can't do that, but I can walk with you in that, go to seattlenightwatch.org, Seattle nightwatch.org org click on the how to help in the give button and you can donate now and make a donation and let it be generous uh these folks that are at nightwatch operate in the spirit of generosity in how they reach out to those um, who are in desperate need and who are blessed immensely so i encourage you go and make a donation at seattlenightwatch.org be a blessing to those who are being a blessing to so many Deacon Frank, I really appreciate your time. You've been very generous with me and giving time, sharing your stories and being an amazing witness, a convicting witness through the work that you're doing at Nightwatch. So thank you. Praise God. Um, and I'm just thankful to have been loved and uh, to be aware of love. And um, uh, just thankful for the time with you, Tom. Your ministry is a great blessing. You're a connector. You're an amplifier of edifying things that you find. Uh, just very thankful for you and your wife and um, all of your ministry. Well, thank you, Frank. I appreciate that. That's Deacon Frank D. Girolamo, the executive director of Nightwatch. Go to seattlenightwatch.org. All right. God bless you. Thanks. God bless.